Hey everyone, welcome to All Things Evangelism. I'm here this uh, afternoon with my good friend Boris Jovinov. Hey. We uh, want to discuss something that's very, very important as it regards evangelism, and that is failure and how to fail and how to deal with failure, but also how in order to get success, you sometimes have to fail your way to success. And it's kind of cool, Boris, because you recently did a series or a, a yeah, workshop, workshop. Yeah. at a youth conference, at the AYC youth conference on failing your way to success. So is there any like gems of wisdom that you could start this conversation off with? I think first, like in the workshop, something that I did and might be worth doing here is just a quick development of a theology of failure in a biblical sense. Yes. Because we're constantly taught as kids and in societal structures to avoid failure at all costs. In fact, maybe I can read, can I actually read an article from Forbes that I think is really kind of important. So this is an article by uh, Ann Powers and there's some interesting research in it. So I'll just read it real quick. It says, ever since we are young, we are taught to avoid failure. In school, we aim to get A's so that we can get into a good university or get a good job after college. We avoid an F like the plague because that would mean we failed at something. As a matter of fact, in the letter grading system, F is the only letter grade which corresponds to the first letter of what it stands for, failure. In this subtle way, the idea of failure, uh, this idea that failure is not good for us becomes embedded in our mind and we try to avoid it. Instead of seeing failure as a natural part of life, we see it as a very negative. And then she dives into some research by two renowned psychologists. And she goes, two world-renowned psychologists, David Kahneman and Amos Tversky, uh, won the Nobel Prize for their work, which explains why we are so averse to failure. And what they found is that the effect of loss is twice as great as the, as the gain from a win. So psychologically, we feel loss and failure because of these systems of how we're brainwashed to avoid it twice as much than any good thing. And she says, this is an astounding conclusion. Uh, pardon me, this astounding conclusion uh, indicates the great negative impact a loss has on us as individuals, which is much greater than the impact of a win. And thus it explains why we as humans would go at lengths to avoid um, a loss or a failure. Hmm. And I find that to be really interesting because we can't kind of avoid the, the things that we don't notice of how we were brought up that shape how we view things. But if we start with the story of the Bible, the Bible itself actually begins with the story of a failure. Like, do you know what I mean? Like we're so averse to it and everyone's trying to avoid it at all costs. But it's interesting that the way God tries to introduce his word to us is the story of failure and probably the biggest, greatest failure that any human has ever made would be partaking of the tree, right? So there in Genesis chapter 3, Eve partakes of the forbidden fruit and that creates chaos and sin enters and a really horrible, horrible thing, yeah? But in Revelation 13 and verse 8, the Bible gives us kind of a really awesome insight into God. And it says this, it says, And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. This is speaking of the lamb-like beast. 
uh, pardon me, the first beast. And it says, and, uh, sorry, the lamb-like beast. And it says, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So this Jesus. And then it goes and says, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And so the question is, what came first, the creation of the world or the sin or the failure? Obviously, the world was created before he failed or in Adam and he failed. But the Bible here tells us that the, the lamb was slain from before failure entered. In other words, God is the God who knows everything, right? He knows what's going to happen. And before the failure happened, God himself had a plan. Yeah. And so the story starts with human failure. But then what did that failure turn into? And it's like one of my favorite verses, which is wild. If Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Um, I'm just turning to it real quick. I don't want to misquote it. The Bible says, um, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, right? So what is the gospel? Well, we know Ellen White's famous quote there that Christ upon the cross is the gospel, right? And the Bible here says that the righteousness of God was revealed through the gospel. So if something's revealed, prior to being revealed, it was concealed. So how good God is, how righteous he is, the righteousness of God wasn't fully seen until the cross. And definitely not, like maybe, like, it's not like the angels in heaven didn't know he was good, but they didn't know how good. They knew he loved, but they didn't know how much he would love. They knew that he was selfless, but didn't really understand how selfless until God comes, gives himself for us, dies on the cross, and he reveals his righteousness. And so you just got to ask the question, well, why on earth did he have to come and die on the cross? Because of the failure, right? So not only was he prepared for failure prior to it, but God is able to take our failures and actually do something with them that is not just a band-aid, right? Not just kind of wide out and just kind of pretend like nothing happened, but he's actually able to come and take our mistakes and then use them for something greater then, then honestly, then what a lot of our good deeds do. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? A lot of time, and just in my practical ministry, a lot of my most powerful learnings that I've ever got, that God's then be able to, been able to use in helping minister to others, have actually been things that I've learnt from stuffing up. Yeah, isn't like it's yeah, interesting totally, how that works, totally. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's before you go on, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Could you then, for practicality's sake, draw some practical lessons? So, like, I'm sitting here thinking from the theology you've shared, from the scripture you've shared, like a couple things that I want to say, like practical things, but I want you to do it first because I, I think this is a good point to just say, okay, so practically speaking, I'm a Seventh day Adventist church member, I'm in the North New South Wales Conference. And, you know, I want to succeed, but 
I've confronted failure on several levels and how do I relate to it? How does what you just say give practical counsel? Yeah, well, I think this is... I think just what you said by yeah. the way is practical counsel, but I'm just yeah. like... Yeah, but I think, I think a lot of... What I found a lot of the time is people are afraid to fail and that's what kind of cripples them. Yeah. And I think we've been trained to be cripplingly afraid to fail. But I think if we come to it with a God perspective, with a Bible mm-hmm. perspective, God's okay with your failures. And not only is he okay with them, but the biblical record that we have, I don't know if you're aware of this, but pretty much everyone except one failed, right? And yet God had has fulfilled his purpose. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is full of people failing and yet simultaneously God accomplishing what God needs to accomplish. Through them anyways. And I think so practically, is, if yeah. we have that mindset, if we forget what our teacher said or the pressures that our parents get us, gave us and we come to it from knowing that God knows you and he knows your limitations and he knows what you're going to mess up and yet he's still asking you to do it. Yeah. Well, that must then mean it's not dependent on you, but God actually has a plan to be able to use even you. Mm-hmm. And the peace and hope that we can get, hopefully the practical up, a part of this, is hopefully it can alleviate the pressure that exists in your mind of what if I mess up? Because the biblical evidences we have of when people do mess up is that God's able to turn that whole situation around and even use it for His glory, even, even the, those things. Yeah, so Boris, are you saying then that we should be perfectly happy to fail? I'm saying we're destined to. Like, I don't, like, I've not yet met the person who hasn't made a mistake. I've not yet met a person who can reflect back on their life and say, you know what? I've done everything perfectly. So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you're going to try your best. Like you will try your best. And we ought to because it's God. It's a sacred calling. And we know that what we are sharing with people is the most precious thing that we have in our life. And yet simultaneously, we know we feel kind of like we're not equipped. We, this is crazy that God's entrusted this to us, right? We'd be like, please just give it to the angels. But he hasn't. He's given it to us. And so it's not who cares. And it's not let me go about trying to do the wrong thing it's alleviating the fear that can exist of what if i do make a make mistake that's right and i think the what if needs to get out of your mind because god's got that what if does that make sense and i think the bible story begins with the greatest human like you will never mess up more than adam and eve like you just won't. You don't. Well, the your, consequences the of conse- your yeah, yeah will that's never better be. said. The consequences of your mess up will never be as dramatic as that. An entire means. race of beings yes. will be like cast yes. into the depths of depravity and sin. Yes, exactly. From, yeah. And yet, even that, God had a plan, and I think so. If God can rectify that, He can. So rectify really, ultimately, anything. what you're saying is to the the basic point you're making. You're making to help people to see that they don't have to be afraid of failure and that God's got a safety net, if, as it were, for us. It's just, you're, not talking, you're not talking like the person who on a salvational level is just disregarding God. No, and his, no. His commands going, oh, no. well, God's got me, you know, yeah. while really just not following God. You're saying the sincere efforts of the Christ follower, you know, they're going to be met with failure. No yes. matter how good you are, no matter how you know, smart you are. You'll always You're find yourself fail. saying something you shouldn't have or not saying something you shouldn't or have. Or being ill-equipped for a circumstance yeah. and then getting in over your head or whatever. Yes. But 
it's it's powerful. The favorite thing, my favorite thing that you said is, but even so, all the other people who God used in Scripture failed. They all, Every single they, one. They all failed to some degree at some time yes. in some way. Yes, but and yet many of he them accomplished his purpose. Well, and you know something else to even add to that is is the example of Abraham, Paul in Romans four. He says that Abraham did not falter at the promises of God. That's almost a direct quote from Romans four. Well, now, when you read the story of Abraham, does that seem like a life of no faltering? Yeah, of course not. Right? It's like full of it. You're lying to the king of Egypt. You're lying to Abimelech. Yeah. Another you, ex- you, yes. You've lied a ton. You decide to help God accomplish his promises. So you have an intimate relationship with your wife's maid. And that causes a huge issue in your home. And then, you know, you've just got tons of issues, tons of dysfunction, tons of failings. But then why does Paul say that he did not falter at the promises of God? And there's there's a lot of ways to explain why God says that. But one simple reason is that because in the end, he never quit. Mm-hmm. And he did find uh, an extraordinary amount of success after a whole bunch of failure. So he got to the point where he so profoundly trusted in God that in, in Genesis 22, he'd take his son up who was the promise, and he would offer his son's life there to God, you know, believing, according to Hebrews 11, that God would raise him from the dead. Um, but that's pretty heavy. So I guess, and then Ellen White says that God does not look at the occasional deed or misdeed, but the course of the life. But my point is your point. I'm not trying to get too deep into that theology, but I'm just simply saying, Paul, in identifying Abraham's work, says he didn't falter, but we know he faltered, but, but he did then receive a certain level of success after failing a whole bunch. Yeah. So success comes yeah. at the end of failure. A parallel to that was, is David, right? He's a man after my own heart. But then you reflect on David's life. It's like... There were occasions where he definitely... kind of don't know an Adventist that's more messed up than him. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I just snorted. <laughs> you made me laugh. Nothing wrong with snorting, bro. But, but the thing is, in the Psalms here, David says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. In other words... Through that, he learned. And I think another reason that we should like get rid of this mindset of we're not allowed to fail is by the repeated accounts in Scripture of Jesus sending what seems to be completely ill-equipped people mm-hmm. out onto the front line to do it. Yeah. And, and, and the disciples, it's literally mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And Jesus didn't say, hey, let me remove you from the possibility of you messing up and and really just like just focus on yourself so you can get really good it's that he knew he knew that they would mess up he knew that they would mess up and they did over and over and over again even when it seemed like it wasn't a mess up like in in luke chapter 10 when they the 70 return and they're like lord even the demons are subject to us jesus there is like whoa 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 no no no. i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven do not rejoice like he's like re- rebuking, like even then he's teaching them, don't celebrate that you defeated the enemy, celebrate that people are saved and that you are saved, right? Mm-hmm. And again, like it's it's a learning on the job, it's learning from your mistakes. And I think this, and let me just say this as a pastor, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. He didn't follow that up by saying, pray for the harvest. He's almost, he's almost saying, you don't need to pray for the harvest because... There's already a massive harvest. He said, but pray for laborers 
Because a laborer is worth more than, than, okay, a worker is worth more than a head of corn. Because a head of corn can't really do anything. But a laborer can bring in a whole bunch of head of corn. So every head of corn, like every soul is an infinite amount, right? But in the context of evangelism, in the context for a pastor, a fellow worker, a lay worker in my church, it's worth more than anything else that I can think of in my church because them working just means that even more eternally significant people can, can be served. brought into the fold. And if that means that for 10 years, that person's going to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, but in the end, they're going to learn, that is far more valuable to me than one really good person who's too afraid to make mistakes in bringing people so that they just make sure that they remain. Now, don't get me wrong. Oh, praise Jesus that they remain amongst us. I don't want anyone to be leaving the fold and hallelujah for that. But someone who's willing to step out and, and make mistakes, you will learn really fast. And every single time you learn, you actually become more competent. And again, I think Jesus is aware, the Holy Spirit is aware of whatever shortcomings you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And so if I... As a sinful human, I'm going to be more than happy to have mercy upon you for your mistakes. Just like I kind of expect you as a human to have mercy upon me for my mistakes. How much more will God, who knew that they were going to come, and yet he's given us his spirit to teach us through through the experience of life, be able to make yeah. up for that? And we should definitely take God's work seriously. And we shouldn't be haphazard or careless. We mm-hmm. want to succeed. 100%. And we give our best to succeed. Yes. But we realize and understand that the work of God takes miracles. It takes supernatural power. And we are so frail and fraught with weakness that it's bound to happen. At some point, we're going to make a mistake. But this gets into a really funny place, by the way. Before I take us to this funny place real quick, I'm just thinking, I believe we all have to ask ourselves the question, are we looking for glory or not? Yes. Because if we're not looking for glory, then who cares about we're probably okay with like. the fact that I may not do a, I may bumble through ministry, mm-hmm. but get great results. I think this is, by the way, I'll tell you something very, very personal. Um, I, I have some friends in, in the States who came to my wife privately and they said, man, we just can't believe how it always works out for Matt. Hmm. Everything just always falls into place for him with ministry and with other circumstances. But we just don't see why. What they were, they were doing is they saw my humanity. They saw my imperfection. And they just were astounded at the fact. And it wasn't just a moral, like where I'm just trying, I'm being immoral on purpose. It was just they, they saw I'm a very human person with very average talents, but God was blessing ministry for me. And they were astounded. And my success was not based so much upon my talent or my lack of making mistakes. It was based on faith and, and perseverance in God. And a willingness to fail and, and stuff it up and then just keep moving forward and keep fighting the good fight of faith. And I feel like if the Apostle Paul says, for this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And he says that at the end of his ministry, like scholars date that to, you know, he, was, he wasn't yeah. a brand new Christian when he said that. Then he's really believing that he's fall, flawed and frail and that he himself has to admit his mistakes and apologize to people and go, oh God, I really blew it at that, at that turn. But look at his ministry. Yeah. Look what he accomplished because he never quit. He never stopped fighting. The and perfect so, example is Jonah. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Like no one's failed more than him in the sense of like, 
and yet like failed look, on a moral level like as but, a but, person no, it's and, true it wasn't a, a moral yes no far more and especially because of a prophet it's a different situation yeah but my point again is just there's just another story followed by another story followed by another story <laughs> yeah. of god yeah. being able to like god is enough for your failures too like I, I just think that that's an important beginning point to start off with. I think also this, something that I've seen, and this is something that I think as a church, as a body, as a community, there's a lot of room to grow in this. We always talk about like the need to innovate with evangelism. We, we, we talk about, look, we can't just be doing the same thing. Like we need to try every new thing. And even Ellen White says that we should constantly be finding new ways to be able to bring the truth before the people. And yet, it is also true that there's a very small tolerance for failure. Like there is a very small tolerance for you trying something and then not being success. Yeah, totally. And that's something that needs to go away because just like God has mercy on you as a leader or all the leaders, like those leaders then need to have mercy on those people trying something too. Um, Jeff Bezos, you know, the Amazon dude, um, he says, he said, in an article, he said, failure comes part and parcel with innovation. It's not optional. He, so he's just saying, like, if you want to try something new, yeah, you're going to fail. You have to fail. Like, it is not an option. And then he, speaking about him and his business, he says, we understand and believe in failing early and irritating until we get it right. And so there is this patience mindset almost that you see more in the world sometimes. For something that's going to burn, like money's just going to disappear, it is coming. It's going to mean nothing, right? And probably, possibly even before that, right? Like we give everything for these things that really mean nothing. And we have this patient mindset of, you know what? We messed up. Try this way now. Uh, It's a bit better, but try, no, try it. And we're so patient and so willing to invest for something that's just going to give a temporary response. And yet I feel like we are quite limited in that patience and in endurance and, and, and the support to our innovators for something that is actually eternally significant and something that moth and rust will not corrupt. And so when it comes to failure, I think we've got to speak on a, uh, the other side too. It's like, yes, you as an individual, the listener, if you're a lay person, like don't be afraid to mess up. God's got that. Try your sincere best. And as you journey with God, he will teach you. And I can say that from experience that God has taught me more from my, my failures than he ever has from my rewards. In fact, just on Twitter today, I saw an awesome tweet where it says, I've learned more from my failures than my trophy cabinet. <laughs> I thought that was really yes. clever. Dude, have you ever heard that? There's this C.S. Lewis quote. Every single time I think of it, I say, why don't I memorize this quote? Because it's so ridiculously good. So I'm just going to have to try to yeah. share the essence of the statement. But he talks, it's in, it's in, his, it's in his book, Mere Christianity. And he's talking about, uh, I think it might be the Toy Soldiers chapter. But anyways, he's talking about like sin and how it seems so hard to shake. Mm. Right? And he says that sometimes when you're morally failing, you, you feel like God is not giving you enough support. Or that he's not giving you enough of his power, whatever. So he's calling you to succeed in certain areas morally, but he's not giving you the sufficient help to succeed. And he's like, do you ever wonder why this is the case? And then he, answer, he basically addresses that situation in a way I've never heard anybody address it. He said, he said, what you have to understand is that God 
is trying, before he can give you a success, like moral success, he needs to teach you two things that are more important than moral success. Hmm. He says, number one, that you can never trust yourself even when you are succeeding. Hmm. And number two, that you should never give up on his grace even in your deepest failings. Hmm. He says, until you've learned those two things, you don't need to succeed morally. And so sometimes that round of failure is the very thing to teach you yeah. that God will always you know, be there for you. Yeah. And even if you're succeeding a little bit, don't get too comfortable. Yeah. Like keep yeah. trusting in Jesus. 100%. And so trust in Jesus always, whether it be in your successes and in your failures. And mm. until you've learned that, you don't need to succeed. The way he articulates it though, it's like CS, right? That's like so just, great. And it fits in perfectly with when Jesus was up with um, uh, James and John, and Peter, and, Peter the and they're coming down and they can't heal. The, the disciples are just... And they're stuck. trying to heal this boy whose father's desperately wanting his son healed and, and they can't. Um, but they've previously healed. Like they've previously healed. And then later on, well, right before that, they were actually having a debate about who's the greatest, right? And then this happens. And then right after it, they kind of ask Jesus, why didn't it happen? He's like, something just can't happen without prayer and fasting. And sometimes people have taken that to kind of be like, okay, so there's this recipe for certain things that if I want healing, I, I need to be that way for certain things. But I think really it's like a life of prayer and fasting, a life of complete devotion. Like they've had success. They've been healing. Jesus is gone, like up the hill, and they're trying to do it again, but it's not working. And it's just kind of that reminder of like, even in your when you're going good, like you can't let go of that dependence on God. And when you're going bad, you definitely can't forget the goodness of God. And to, that's awesome. So check this out, just to, to the whole success yeah. thing. Um, if, you, if you're eager to kind of take us down a certain road, that's cool. But I was thinking, I wanted to talk just for a bit before we close today about Peter mm -hmm. and his failure. Yeah. But before I get into that, I just wanted to tell everybody a little commercial break that you do a podcast. Oh yeah, it, it hasn't launched yet. Hasn't we're launched. launching it oh, so next, doing, literally just, next week. We're just getting content together. We're getting like first five, six episodes before we start, so yes. that if there's a break, we can fit you them can in. Cover it. Yeah, it's called what's it called? Heavy Sevy. Heavy Sevy. Yeah, I love it. Heavy Sevy. It's essentially a long form podcast. Um, the episodes is essentially just a conversation with me and some of my friends and just other people who are far more learned and far more smarter than me, um, and just they range from an hour to. A few hours long sometimes. <laughs> I'm and, just smiling um, because I think if you're Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, your nose would have just boop, boop. No, no, if you're why? Pinocchio, your nose would have just grown. Why? Because when you say they're much more learned and smart than me, I was thinking, I wonder if he really believes those people No, I actually really do. Like our first episode, <laughs> we, had, like, mm. no, we had Kale DeWile on there on the first episode. He was like the Dean of Theology and he, he had an, actually a really good podcast. I'm actually really excited. I know a few Deans of that. Theology that I think I'm smarter than. Yeah, but you think you're smarter than a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Right. This goes so there are, good. There are a couple of deans out there that I'm smarter this, than. <laughs> Come on, man. Totally. This, okay. Anyway, commercial break over. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So I'm, I'm super psyched about your podcast. It's going to be great. Yeah, thanks. We'll meant to have you on there, but we'll get it yeah, soon. Yeah, we'll come yeah. soon. So, and guys, you can, before we finish this podcast, I just wanted to say, so I don't forget, you can download this podcast and get reminders, regular reminders, uh, by just get going on the Spotify and Apple podcasts. Um, and also we send emails out. So Boris, okay. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, 
it's around verse 30, 32. He makes this really heavy statement. He says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny them before my father. Right? So, and then he, he elaborates a little more than that, but that's the essential point he makes. So on earth, if you deny Jesus, he'll deny you. And some people have taken that to mean that God in response to your denial, uh, it's like, like a kind of a punitive thing. Like, oh, well, you're going to deny me? Well, I'll deny you then. Mm. Um, but that's not really God's attitude as I understand it. What Jesus is just simply saying is, is that God respects you and God honors your choices. And so if you're going to choose to deny him, well, then he'll accept that. And so Jesus will deny you before the Father, not because God is resenting the fact that you denied him, although that hurts God, but rather because you've chosen. Because mm. God takes your word seriously. You, you said it. You want to deny God. And so he'll, he'll deny you then. Um, so it's not like a tit for tat. You did this to me. Now I'm going to do this no, to it's you. it's not petty. It's not petty. It's just respect. It's he, God respects your person and he respects your words. And uh, so he says, you deny me before men, I deny you. Now, Peter in Matthew 26 denies Jesus three times mm -hmm. on earth. Yeah. Right? Hey, I think you knew Jesus. Were you with him? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah. him. And hey, then he starts, that's a denial. He's denied yeah. him. And then he's like cussing he his cuss. head off. So after, after the third, when he gets to the third time, he's like, well, let me prove to these people yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, Jesus. Man. Bleep, 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 bleep. And it's funny because when it says he's cursing, we always tr kind of think of these things like he was probably like, darn it, no, by no. golly, I didn't he know He was him. trying to prove to them that he's nothing near them. Yes, yeah. which is just so crazy because think about the elevated nature of his experience with God. He saw Jesus shining. He walked on water. He's healed people. He, he is, by all accounts, a godly man. And now in the moment, with all the pressure, yeah. he's just like, cussing yeah and can i just talk about this pressure yeah it was like little girls asking him <laughs> but that but people who in the society you could have just said you have no right to talk to me and, and all i'm saying is like sometimes you can trip up over real big things but sometimes you'll be surprised by how nothing you trip up by yeah true and the momentum though like yeah. i'm thinking he, jesus has been arrested and you're yeah. freaking out you think the romans are going to kill everybody so you're just filled with fear yeah and even a girl scares you yeah. it's like that verse and that literally says, hours before that you were like confessing that you'd rather die than deny him totally so yeah the, the momentum has shifted it's got him he's 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 been swept away yeah and he's he's denying jesus he's denying jesus okay so jesus said if you deny me before men I will deny you before the Father. Mm. Uh, okay, so this is a pretty big deal. He, in essence, said, I don't know you. I don't want anything to do with you. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so um, Judas did something pretty bad too. Mm -hmm. it, he does the, the betrayal. Yeah. He tells the enemies of Jesus where he is. He pays the money yeah. to betray him. And anyways... We could get into it, but we won't. But he was surprised that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. Yeah. And he's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. He runs in in Matthew 27 to the priests. And he, he says, hey, I've betrayed innocent blood. This guy didn't deserve what I did to him. And they're like, what's that to us? You know, yeah. you, you deal with it. That's your issue. And so he casts the money down and he goes and hangs himself. Um, I contend that Peter's sin 
was just as great as as Judas's. Judas betrayed. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Peter denied. No, hundred percent. That denial is a betrayal. Hundred percent. Easily, that's a betrayal. Yes. That's just open public just betrayal. Yes. As compared to silent secret yeah. betrayal, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, Judas hangs himself. He can't because he can't stand the fact. Yes. That he's a sham. That he's a failure. That he's a loser. Right. Yes. But Peter doesn't. So check this out. Like in in Mark 16, when the angels come to yes. the disciples, is that yes. where you were going to yeah, go? I was read, say it, that. read it for us. Read it for us. It says, when when the ladies come to the angels, yep. the angel said, "Don't be alarmed." He said, "You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter where he's going ahead of you into Galilee." Dude. Much is made about the fact that the angel was trying to encourage Peter. But, and I agree with that, like the angel was mentioning him by name to say God hasn't forgotten you. But he was also mentioning him separately from the rest of the disciples because Jesus said, if you deny me before men, okay, you've chosen. And then in John 21, he reinstates him by taking him back over his failure. And Peter was willing... To endure that yes. and to publicly stand in front of his friends who he used to brag in front of. And he gets to be a loser. He gets to be a nobody. He gets to be a failure. Yes. And then after that experience, he reinstates him. He reinstates him <laughs> and Acts chapter 2 happens 50 days later. Yes. Peter preaching the main Peter sermon. Peter preaching the main sermon. So that's failing your way to success. Some people are afraid to fail. Judas you yeah. see you just spiritually commit suicide failing your way to success literally the key there is get back up totally if you get back up there's a whole lesson that is now a part of your growth yeah. on top of your god look i love this story man i really love this story like peter three times denies him by the fire in luke they're by the fire in the morning and three times it's like do you love me do you love me? Do you love me? And we miss it in the English, right? In John. In John. Right? Yeah, pardon me, in John. Yeah. Um, we miss it in the English because it's Peter, do you... Agape. Agape me. Yeah. Like, do you love me unconditionally? And he's like, I fillet you. It's, it's like, I like you. We're bros. I like you. <laughs> like, good you know friends. how devastated you'd be when you were dating <laughs> Cherise? And you're like, I love you. And she looked back and you'd be like, I like you. But you, but you know, be devastated. Yeah, you would, but I bet Jesus was happy because Jesus of knew course, it already. Of course, because it's honest. He knew it already. It yes, was honest. Totally. And then again, he's like, yeah. do you love me? No. He's like, I like you. But the third time, Jesus is like, do you like me? Mm. So Jesus, that third time, it's like, do you even like me? And he's like, Lord, you know everything. You know that I like you. I'm ready to listen. Dude, Can I love me? this, man. I love this because it kind of shows... Again, a lot of the fear from failure produces facades where we have to pretend like we're doing right. But what the Bible shows us is that God can do more with an honest stuff up than a shiny looking stuff up, <laughs> like totally. than a fake one. And this journey, mm. Peter had to fail. Like Peter, for Peter's sake, I really believe this because it's true in my own life. Peter could not have learned the lesson, the lesson of that it is okay like he could not have learned the lesson of being truly honest and truly sincere and truly authentic and real without failing. 
He couldn't. It was the failure that produced the humility and honesty that God was longing for. It's because when he had that, God could take him to the next level. Yep. But let, can I wrap it up with just this kind of insight? Have you ever thought about, so Jesus is three and a half years teaching and preaching the disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who buys a field, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great pride. The kingdom, like kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven is like, he's constantly trying to the teach them. went on a far journey. Yeah, yeah, he's constantly trying to teach them. Guys, the idea that you have about me restoring the kingdom to Israel, that's not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he's teaching him. Do you know what the very last words that the Bible records that Jesus ever heard his disciples say to him? When will you set up the kingdom? <laughs> will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes. Yes. You know how crazy that That's is? awesome. The very last sentence Jesus ever got his, heard his disciples utter to him was the very thing he was trying to teach them that it's oh. not. <laughs> it's crazy. But what's even crazier is Jesus' response. So they said to him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to him, it's not for you to know the times nor the dates. The Father has sent by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like, whoa, 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 hold up. These guys believe. Like they still believe after all of that. The same. Basically, same, the, Basically the, the, the same, same basic thing. theology about the kingdom. And Jesus' response to that is go witness. Brother, I'm telling you, if there was any pastor in any conference of the Adventist Church that I'm aware of who believed that their mission was to get into the parliament of the country, the government of the country, and then start to rule people into the Adventist Church through legislation because they would run the country, they would be fired pretty quick. And, and rightly so. Rightly so. <laughs> like, rightly so. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus hears this crazy, like this is crazy theology. And he's like, go be witnesses. The other kind of example, the last chapter in the book of Mark, right? Jesus shows up and he rebukes them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus comes up, he rebukes them uh, because they didn't believe, right? And um, You're stealing my sermon here. So I think we'll end the podcast right here. End the podcast <laughs> right here. Still the but, but he said to them, he says... Um, Verse 14 of chapter 16. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him. Even and before verse, that, it says, even before that, by the way, go go backwards because, to, because it says that the women saw him at the temple yes. and he reported it to the guys, but they didn't, but believe. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. That's the second time. And so this is Jesus showing up now and rebuking him for, for their God. lack of faith and not believing. And then the very next verse is, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You would think, honestly, you would think like sound theology would be a precursor to witnessing. like Which it is to some degree. No, it is. It is yeah. But don't get me wrong. But yeah. you would also think like faith is a precursor or humility or at least belief. Now, here's the thing. Here's my point. Of course, these guys weren't atheists. So the belief that he's rebuking is this. It's a degree. It's, it's this is degree of, yeah. it's this. Like, honestly, it's kind of a big thing that he's asking them to believe. A guy that they saw die for them to now believe that he's alive without seeing. Like, that's a big thing, right? Theologically, we have a lot of members who who kind of understand 
what we believe, but at the same time, they kind of feel like they don't understand it enough to teach anyone. And there's these limitations, like they feel like they don't have enough faith or they don't have a strong enough belief or, or sound enough theology. And I just want to kind of encourage you that the story that we have in Scripture is that actually the going and preaching was the school that God designed for them to fail their way through to be able to learn how to evangelize properly. And so whether you feel that you don't know enough Put yourself in a situation by faith to be able to share with someone and you'll find your own knowledge increasing faster than anything else in your life mm. has ever helped you before. You might think yes. you don't have enough faith and you doubt and you, you're, you're suspicious. Put yourself out there. Try and fail your way, but stick with it. And before you know it, you will start believing that God can do stuff that you kind of knew he did, but didn't truly believe. But now you can't not believe it because you've seen him actually do it in people's lives. And it's as you do this, as you live this out, that God can that God can encourage us. Now, before we close, I know you want to wrap this up. You like shorter podcasts. Can I just share like five, six things that people can start doing practically? As long as it takes just two minutes. It is two minutes. Sweet. First thing, really intentional evangelism. And you're going to maybe... Not do it perfectly, but get up and keep doing it. Add 10 minutes to your day. 10 minutes of intentionally praying for three people. Just put an alarm clock, put a set on your calendar, a 10-minute marker, put it into repeat, and every day spend 10 minutes praying for someone. That's something you can do. Have intentional relationships. Let me just read this quote from Ellen White, Ministry of Healing, page 157. It says, In all our associations, it should be remembered that in the experience of others, there are chapters sealed from mortal sight. On the pages of memory are sad histories that are sacred, sacredly guarded from curious eyes. There stand registered long, hard battles with trying circumstances, perhaps troubles in the home life. The day-by-day weakened courage, that day-by-day weakened courage, confidence and faith. Those who are fighting the battle of life at great odds may be strengthened and encouraged by little attentions that cost only a loving effort. To such, the strong, helpful grasp of the hand by a true friend is worth more than gold or silver. Words of kindness are as welcome as the smile of angels. She's saying that if all our friendships and all our acquaintances around us, there are people who are going through high things and there are things that are hidden from public view. But in all your associations, be intentional, be the Christian, be there for them, looking for openings where you're able to share the love of God and hopefully a direct invitation into the only one who can truly help them through the difficult circumstances. Third thing that you can do, very simple, share literature. Most conferences actually just have a stockpile of free literature that you can request and hand out wherever you go. And there is much said in the spirit of prophecy about how God can use that and that angels attend each piece of literature that we pass out with them. Something that I've done previously is done community prayer meeting. And that is where my wife and I open up our house for a prayer meeting when there's a crisis going on. And we just write an invitation to the people in our street. And we just say, hey, we're a Christian family. We believe in prayer. If you're a Christian, at this time, you're welcome to come to our house and let us pray together for this crisis. And we've every single time had multiple people from our community come join us in prayer. And it's been a like a very direct evangelistic opportunity. Um, in fact, two weeks ago, we had a neighbor come to our church that was a result out of that. 
um, share your testimony. Just have the courage to tell people why you're a Christian, why you gave your life to God and why you're choosing to follow, follow him. Um, you can create a visitor Sabbath school class. You can give personal Bible studies. And most importantly, and this is probably the hardest one for people to do because it's the scariest and you might feel like a failure when people say no, but it's not you that they say no to. But at every opportunity that you get, invite people to come experience the God that you've experienced. Mm. Bro, thanks so much, man, for your time, Boris. We always love having you on the podcast. Um, you're, the post- you're the pastor of the Warner's Bay Seventh-day Adventist Church, but soon... Yeah. to be the associate pastor of the Mwilimba Church up yes. in the Northern River. So, yeah, and joining the Tweed Valley Adventist School chaplaincy Tw- team there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're going to be the school evangelist. I guess that's a yeah. fair title for yeah. you. But guys, keep Boris in your prayers. Thank you so much Please. for tuning in with us. It's been a huge blessing for me to reconsider these really biblical truths that it's okay to fail, not because we want to fail, not like it's okay we want to you know, slouch and give half-hearted efforts to God, but... But even on our best, we may meet failure. Mm. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We should push through, move forward, continue to fight the good fight of faith, trusting and believing that God will make up the difference. And 100%. He does. And He has made up it's the difference. It's His work. It's His work. Guys, God bless you. Uh, please uh, share this podcast with those who you think would be interested. We're going to be praying for you. Pray for us. And God bless you. See you next week. Bye-bye.